0: Hello, good afternoon. Welcome to another podcast. I know it's been a while. But um, yeah, I'm still working things out. And hopefully we'll be getting into more of a rhythm. I know I keep saying that. But anyway, I'm just gonna get right down to it couple of housekeeping items I want to bring to your attention. So I'm moving more and more to locals, I'm getting away from Facebook. Uh, locals can be much more engaging. Uh, there'll be a link uh, to my locals channel there in the uh, show notes. Among, Along with that, there'll be all the links uh, to everything that I'm going to mention and even more in this podcast. So uh, if you're listening or if you're watching on rumble, um, not much because this is uh, strictly audio anyway, it'll all be there. And I do look forward to hearing from you about this podcast and about, um, some future topics. Um, feel free to suggest I'm going to, uh, I'm going to be talking today about another round of human trafficking, global slavery, climate change, and the sustainable development goals. Uh, but I'm going to be moving away uh, from this and, and get more uh, into some more um, more direct um, issues about human trafficking. But there's just been so much more about this in the news lately. I've been listening to uh, couple more podcasts, reading a couple more books since I produced the last podcast about this topic. I don't want to uh, continue to to beat this into the ground, but I, I do think it's important um, because I'm, I'm seeing a trend and I want you to be aware of it. And part of what I'm trying to do here is to also help you see trends in the bigger world and maybe in the sector where you live, where you're seeing just some Changes, maybe incremental, maybe larger than incremental, about the way that society is beginning to uh, talk about things and the things that are being accepted and and the and the the rubrics that that are being suggested and that are laying down and that I uh, am not liking the direction that this is going and so maybe you don't either, um, but this is what I'm going to talk about today. And uh, I'd like to hear what you think about it. Whether you're saying, whether you agree, whether you don't. Uh, this is pretty—it's pretty controversial. Of course, climate change is always controversial. Uh, it, well, it doesn't have to be, um, but it is. Uh, we should be having—we uh, should be having honest conversations about all of this. Um, climate change is science, uh, but it's not. So, at any rate, I'm going to be suggesting some different perspectives to think about climate change in general, but also looking at the uh, intersection between, uh, the climate change and, and human trafficking, modern, uh, slavery sector. So I'm not producing this podcast to be anti environment. I mean, there's no, the people who would take sort of my, my perspective on these things uh, that I agree with are where we love the outdoors. Uh, We advocate good stewardship of our planet and all the things in it. There's plenty of pollution and littering, and I hate that. Uh, Climate change is real. I mean, we live in a planet that's, uh, you know, so old. Um, And there are changes. There are ice ages and there are heat waves in, in the whole climate. I'm not just talking about weather, but I'm talking about climate. And so I... Just don't believe that it's the emergency crisis that the doomsayers are yelling about. In fact, they've been yelling about this for 50 years, and nothing that they've said is true. Uh, I'm going to point out some of those uh, holes also. But it's um, but a lot of this uh, rhetoric is is about that climate change is the emergency. Well, it it's it is something to talk about, but it's not more important than caring for humans. In fact, what I'm going to suggest to you today is that human flourishing and destruction of the planet are not mutually exclusive. The two are actually synergistic. If you understand what some of the people I'll be introducing in this podcast are saying, and what I'll be getting to. So my main concern for recording this is that stopping human trafficking, uh, I predict will now be another emergency reason to implement drastic climate change policies that will likely do nothing real about stopping human trafficking and actually probably won't do anything real to stop climate change. Uh, But now that climate change is causing human trafficking, it is in the interest of everyone because who can be against slavery? Uh, Then we must do everything right now to stop climate change or, or how dare you, right? So... Uh, much of the climate change activism is being driven by misanthropic, Malthusian-minded people who actually do not care much for humans in general, or at least most humans, most humans. They approve of themselves, of course, their families, and are okay, saying uh, they, they are the arbiters of who should be among the privileged billion people they think that should be left on the earth that the the world can sustain. And one of those is Paul Ehrlich, who wrote The Population Bomb in 1968, and uh, whatever he said back in the late 60s, early 70s hasn't come true, so I don't think we should be continuing to listen to him like on his recent uh, interview on 60 Minutes. There is a tension between those who think that a planet untouched by humans is best and want to stop all human impact, and those who believe that humans can thrive by applying good stewardship of their capabilities and adapt to a changing climate. Uh, as I mentioned before, um, the the climate change alarmists have been wrong for at least 50 years, um, probably more, and much of the catastrophizing about the climate crisis cannot be backed up by scientific in- inquiry, yet most of the media is ignoring it, as Bjorn Lomborg has said in an article in the Wall Street Journal is that the result is that the public is denied access to accurate data and open debate about these very important topics. Ridiculous points on one side are left standing while so-called fact-checking censors inconvenient truths. If we're to make good climate policy, voters need a full picture of the facts. Uh, Bjorn, in a, uh, another article he published in 2020, says that climate change is real and its impacts are mostly negative, but common portrayals of devastation are unfounded. Scenarios set under the UN Climate Panel, IPCC, show human welfare will likely increase 450% of today's welfare over the 21st century. Climate damages will reduce this welfare increase to 434%. Arguments for devastation typically claim that extreme weather, like droughts, floods, wildfires, and hurricanes, is already worsening because of climate change. This is mostly misleading and inconsistent with the IPCC literature. For instance, the IPCC finds no trend for a global hurricane frequency and has low confidence in attribution of changes to human activity, while the U.S. has not seen an increase in landfalling hurricanes since 1900. Global death risk from extreme weather has declined 99% over 100 years, and global costs have declined 26% over the last 28 years. Also, he adds in the same article is that arguments for devastation typically ignore adaptation, which will reduce vulnerability dramatically. While climate change research suggests that fewer but stronger future hurricanes will increase damages This effect will be countered by richer and more resilient societies. Global costs of hurricanes will likely decline from 0.04% of GDP today to 0.02% in 2100. He goes on, Climate policies also have costs that often vastly outweigh their climate benefits. The Paris Agreement, if fully implemented, will cost... $819 819 to $1,890 billion per year in 2020, yet will reduce emissions by just 1% of what is needed to limit average global temperature rise to 1.5 degrees Celsius. Each dollar spent on Paris will likely produce climate benefits worth 11 cents. Again, that is uh, from Bjorn Lumberg's article, Welfare in the 21st Century, Increasing Development, Reducing Inequality, the Impact of Climate Change, and the Cost of Climate Policies in Science Direct. And that's a free article for me, and I'll be posting the link in the show notes. What I mean, it's free for me, so probably free for you, since I don't have access. Uh, Lumberg also wrote a uh, fantastic book called False Alarm, How Climate Change Panic Costs Us Trillions, Hurts the Poor and Fails to Fix the the planet. And uh, so I highly recommend that you get this from basic books. Again, a link to that will be in the show notes. Another uh, counter argument that I'm going to put forth, I, I just want to say a side note here for your listening. Why, why am I just going on about climate change? Um, and whether or not it's it's having the impact that it is, it, it's because I want to make a case that uh when when the alarmists are saying climate change is causing human trafficking by causing all of this destruction and displacement of people, yeah, I mean that's happening. But I want to put it in perspective about what the reality is on the whole planet, um, because we are being led to believe that what's happening on a small scale is 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 the majority of what's happening. It's just. Like I said before, all this sensational, catastrophizing and making something more about what it isn't to uh, get a particular narrative and agenda uh, forward. And so, um, as I was alluding to before, there's a another case to be made uh, by Alex Epstein. Um, he wrote the book Fossil Future. Again, The uh, subtitle is Why Global Human Flourishing Requires More Oil, Coal, and Natural Gas, Not Less. Okay, yeah, you can't get more controversial than that. But I'm just going to outline some of the basic uh, premises of, of this book is that he says that fossil fuels have advantages as well as disadvantages. Okay, but the disadvantages have been the only points expressed in the mainstream media. But the, the summary of, of this book is five basic points. One, human flourishing requires cost-effective energy. Two, far more energy is needed now to lift people out of poverty. Three, fossil fuels are uniquely cost-effective. Four, unreliable solar and wind are failing to replace fossil fuels. Five, Fossil fuels give us an incredible climate mastery ability, so we can adapt. And this is also the point of Bjorn Lomborg. Um, Renewables will not, cannot replace fossil fuels at any time soon. The cost of renewables is higher, not lower. And this puts the poor at even greater risk of financial difficulty, thereby increasing their vulnerabilities to human trafficking. Uh, far more than any climate change disasters and this is happening in developed as well as developing countries like in, in Germany the, the the cost of of energy now is absolutely skyrocketed uh, and this was before the war in Ukraine um, that you know f- there's also additional pressures because of that happening, um, but the the cost of renewals that have to be heavily subsidized uh, by the government is continuing to cost um, people and poor people more money. Therefore, they're thereby making them more vulnerable. Basically, people need energy to live and to thrive, and. Climate change is far from the world's priorities because they're too poor to care. Um, only elite, the elite, the rich, the even the middle class in developed nations can afford to care. Uh, we can afford to make certain choices. We can afford to do something and to offset their carbon emissions or to be more efficient and to care about picking up our trash and things like that. Um, so thriving people care more about their environment and have more resources to live cleaner and more sustainable lives. But the, there's a trending surge of blaming climate change for human trafficking. Uh, when actually I'm proposing that it's a lot of the policies, uh, and that's driving poverty, that's driving people to move, that's driving people to not be able to thrive and make choices for energy and, and the energy, uh, the less dense energy of fossil fuel will not enable uh, people to quote unquote the myth of leapfrogging fossil fuels. It's just simply, simply not going to happen. And uh, Alex Epstein uh, in that book, Fossil Future, uh, as well as Bjorn Lundberg, as well as Michael Schellenberger in his book, uh, Apocalypse Never Outline um, to some great degree. But stopping human trafficking will be a reason to speed up implementation of climate change policies because people are dying and we cannot wait on science or it is the speed of science. And the issue is is uh, complex for sure. Uh, and it's because it is complex. It is easier to just sim- oversimplify it. Uh, you know, there's a video by Freedom Fund. Um, there's a link, uh, YouTube. It's just it's i think it's about 10 minutes long or something um and they explain oh yes uh climate change is complicated and human trafficking is complicated but uh climate change is causing human trafficking because of all the disasters which uh is being proven even um, by, I just mentioned the IPCC that uh, it's proven not to be true. So um, interesting, I made a comment linking my first podcast about climate change to the YouTube video. And when I went to find the link again, I noticed that my comment had been scrubbed. So I posted another comment and stating that there seems to be no room for a healthy discussion about this topic on this platform. I said that you admitted that this is a complex topic and yet you won't allow for any nuance that suggests there might be more than one aspect to the link between slavery and climate change. I know that because you already removed my comment with a link to my podcast on the topic. So I'm conveniently reposting it here. And when I went to check today, a week later, this second comment was scrubbed. So, uh, no, it's settled. Uh, we can't really talk about. Um, we must have this. We must have this. Um, you know, it is linked. Uh, the mining industry, for example, which supplies metals for electronic components and batteries for electric vehicles, is notorious for using slave labor. You know, largely due to supply and demand and a lack of uh, of real oversight because these minerals are largely mined in places like africa and um where there hasn't been a lot of development and a lot of oversight um not saying that africa is more corrupt than other countries it just happens to be that um this is where it's happening uh mining the thing is this mining of of These minerals is not a new thing, but the drive to massively, rapidly increase yields and the race to capture control of these deposits is relatively new, at least since we've been discussing slavery in earnest over the last couple of days. But the Davos elites, who probably own all this land or these companies aren't even ensuring that their products are not slave free that these these industries are growing up together the mineral mining with the electronics uh so it they can't say they never knew about it like oh it's just we can't do anything about these these uh these areas in in africa and you know we don't know it's so remote and um there's I don't think there's any excuse, uh, put your money where their mouth is. And really the, the growing demand is fueled by yes, us, the consumer. Um, but these people are are also driving the demand and their companies can do something about it. Now I'm going to get to the supply chain a little bit later, but these, the it's, it's growing up together and what was happening before is just being allowed to continue, uh, with impunity. Another industry is also the fishing industry, which I have uh, direct contact with. When I worked in Thailand, I was working with fishermen who had been trafficked literally for years, sometimes up to 10 years, uh, enslaved on boats and from boat to boat and being dropped off on some island. And so these these shipping companies and 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 boats would get busted not for having illegal slave labor on board because uh, a lot of time that just wasn't a priority or they would dump their workers off on an island literally uh, they would get busted for the environmental. Uh, aspect of it for fishing in illegal waters or getting fish that were illegal to catch or for whatever reason. And then the slavery would be found incidentally. And that's not specific about uh, climate change, but it is, but it is related to um, it is it is an example of how slavery and environmental destruction and And poor stewardship of our planet and resources go hand in hand because these nefarious actors don't really care whether they're killing people or destroying the environment. So this is a a segue into discussing the book uh, Blood and Earth by Kevin Bales. Now, Kevin Bales wrote Disposable People, and I think that is the first book I ever read about slavery. I think it was published in 1999. Um, Really fantastic. It inspired me to to do something about it. I was just appalled. Like it was like, I could see what was going on the Thai-Burma border. And now it was a global thing and it's a thing and I've got to do something about it. So it's very inspiring. Um, so now, uh, because I'm really interested in, in this topic about the climate change and, and slavery and all of this. So this, his, book, I don't know if it's latest, anyway, it was published in 2016, Blood and Earth, uh, also a link in the show notes, of course, um, is looking directly at this topic. And so I'm going to be discussing, so I'll take one expert excerpt he has on the Scientific American website about shrimp. And so you can look at that so you don't have to read the whole book. It's, it's not very long. It's a pretty easy read if you want to, um, tolerate it, but I'm going to do a summary of it here. But basically he takes the really alarmist, uh, perspective about, um, climate change, about the only way to deal with climate change is to reduce emissions. And he has a lot of stories about that, that, that are true, that, like I mentioned before, about the mining and the and the fish and the fishing and things like that that they are linked. Um, but it's almost as if every environmental travesty about deforestation to overfishing, everything that's bad is always slavery. Now, maybe that's true, um, but his solutions are really not about kind of dealing with why people are enslaving other people or primary prevention or lifting people up. It's like, no, the solution is that we are basically consuming way too much. We demand too much. Uh, we should eat less, consume less, and, and all of that. I, I'm not saying that he's wrong, but it's it's very drastic and it's very one-sided. And there's basically another part about the book that I really don't like is that there are, he, he does have references, but in the text, he's not linking quotes, he's not linking studies to specific re, uh, references. He has notes in the book, but they're not linked to anything uh, directly in the text. The The references in the notes are not numerically tagged or directly linked to the quote or statistic uh, or statement in the text. And you know these many stories are no doubt true. They are heartbreaking narratives about how people are abusing other people. However, many stories aren't necessarily tied directly to climate change. Like I said about the fishing, I mean, there's a lot of emotional tugs, uh, a lot of leaps of of reference, of of, of 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 conflating and connecting things that aren't necessarily connected. Uh, there's a lot of discussion about corruption in agriculture, and some of that corruption leads to labor exploitation. Some of it is labor trafficking. The corruption has to do with environmental destruction, which is not helping the environment. But I suspect that that that, that math is not adding up all the environment, environmental issues. is not all caused by the work of exploited labor. There's no real attempt to quantify or delineate how much of it is Due to slavery i'm not saying it's easy or possible to do this i just didn't find a mention and there's a note about slavery being connected to production of biofuels of course like look you know look at what's going on speaking of biofuels or or the mining for minerals and we need to look no further than the Uyghur people of china who are being enslaved to make all of your solar panels um I don't know. This is in 2016. Uh, maybe you didn't know about that issue then. Um, but we're going to not do renewables because of the, the, um, slave trade. No, I'm not, I'm not saying that, but you know, they're just, there isn't much of a, a nuance, um, in this book. Uh, one of the, one of the scenes is, He recalls a bucolic scene in which a family with two teenage sons are quite happy in their little hut in sustainable farming situation, cooking over a wood stove, uh, wood, wait, what? Um, you know, this is a quite dirty form of fuel with known health hazards, uh, and that it is energy, uh, deficient It's not very dense. It doesn't produce uh, very much energy for the amount of, uh, wood fuel that you have to burn. Uh, It keeps people poor. I'm not saying that this family wasn't content, um, but this is not necessarily the answer for a thriving advancement of civilization that's going to be able to withstand the effect of climate change in a very broad sense. It makes sense for small-scale farming in the Amazon, Uh, not for lifting the entire region or country to a higher level of clean and healthy development. Um, You know, that same story was linked to other stories of people living sustainable lives in communities. And I mean, this is really what comes to mind when most people like you and me think of when we hear the term sustainable development. However, the locally based independent and basically free people picture is not necessarily what is in the minds of Klaus Schwab and other elite people pushing for the SDGs or the sustainable development goals. But I am ahead of myself with that comment. Um, but um, back to this article that you can read for free in Scientific American about the shrimp farms. He, he describes and connects mangrove destruction in, in Bangladesh with, and lives lost in a cyclone and describes and connects mangrove destruction and shrimp farms. Then connects shrimp farms with slavery. And then, of course, cyclones with more enslavement. And more destruction of inland forests, which then caused extinction of animals, so these i i think you know we can make the connection in our mind um but there's not you know there's not a single reference uh to a study that i that that he lists anyway um in the in the article there's no references in this in this article and then so there's there's other questions uh that I ask here and so how do we keep the poor from being vulnerable? He he, he paints this really bleak picture, and it, it's terrible. Um, but are all the shrimp farms all enslaved? Um, are all the children or all the people in these farms in, enslaved? I, I, this is for another podcast, but you know there's there's a real conversation about what makes a child a slave, what makes child labor, um, and what children want to do. Are we emancipating children? Are we listening to children? Do we believe all children, what they say? Or, you know, would we look at developed world, developing world, all this kind of thing. So, you know, he he does admit, um, quote, uh, not all seafood is touched by slavery, of course, but across the region, children are enslaved to catch, clean, pack, and sometimes dry fish and shrimp. So, yes, it's true. Um, But he makes this comment, yes, of course, not all of it is slavery, but uh, I'm going to help you believe that it is. But I'm also wondering, why does it have to be all or nothing? Is it all lose-lose situation? Or do we have any solutions that are win-win? Is it always just reduce demand, eat fewer shrimp? Um, Is the only solution supply chain cleanup in aisle seven? Why are we not providing solutions to lift people out of poverty? Uh why are there local solutions to more sustainable development of the land so we can have our shrimp and eat it too, uh, or farm it? Um, why are we not facilitating more sustainable and environmentally sound ways to grow and process shrimp? One last uh, one, one last thing I'm going to highlight from this book, um, just just to put some things in perspective. That Bales includes a lengthy discussion about the Virunga forest in eastern Congo. He focuses mostly on the conflict aspect with anti government militia gangs that control parts of the country as opposed to the official government. Now, this has been a problem for years, for decades, really. Uh, these militias control the mineral mines in the area and use exploited labor to work them. This is uh, bad. This is what we're talking about the mining uh, for the minerals for our phones. He also details killing of hippos for meat and selling them, bad for the ecosystem, of course, and gorillas, uh, threatening extinction. Uh, By the way, this Virunga forest is where Jane Fossey did her work and the silverback gorillas. And and that they're controlling the forest to make charcoal, uh, which also makes them a lot of money because is the main fuel source, uh, for like 80% part of that country and Rwanda. So that's more badness. Um, but the thing he doesn't say like, oh, well, it's bad. They sell charcoal. Why are they selling charcoal? Maybe we can fix that because charcoal is dirty, 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 bad for the air, bad for health, bad for the environment, because you have to chop down all this wood, but no, um, that's a side note. Uh, what we're going to do about that. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't know. So he doesn't mention it. It's all about us. The real problem is us wanting all of our devices. And it's us that's causing the militia to have the pressure to use slaves to work um, to get this minerals out. Now, I'm not saying that's not happening. I'm just saying it's just a little skewed and the and the, the, the solution is, is maybe a little oversimplified and not very expedient. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because uh, Michael Schellenberger, in his book *Apocalypse Never*, also discusses the Varunga Forest situation, but details different aspects about it, and and talks about how, well, the the by protecting. Uh, The forest in the name of conservation means that there's no walls around the forest and all of these wild animals are destroying their crops making people poor but you know they can't kill the animals because they're under arrest Uh, and these aren't necessarily all protected animals they are just animals that live in the forest. Um, and so they're putting the conservation, these animals above these people, these people can't get a break. They're continually poor and they're having to chop down the forest for charcoal to burn because they're refusing to put in a hydroelectric dam that might actually help supply a greater amount of energy for the people in Eastern Congo. And they can do it environmentally sound, but no, um, it's nature above humans and, So helping people not burn such a dirty energy dilute fuel might do a great deal of good for the conservation efforts to save the forest and the gorillas. I don't want to belabor this point or go into more detail about the situation, but just highlighting the differences in approach and perspective, depending on, on, you know, who, what you want to see. Now, both Schellenberger and Bale's are, are right, uh, but I like Schellenberger's approach because it's much more granular, much more practical, very much on the ground, and, and very much more pro-human. Can we do better to protect the poor from natural disasters? Of course. Uh, for example, the Netherlands has been working with Bangladesh to improve and adapt their seaside to protect against flooding, for example, and human flourishing leads to more adapting. Making all of us poor won't help. All the ships can rise in the sea, but some are, ships are bigger and some rise faster, um, but that's okay um, because we're all going to ride. Uh, and just finally a note about the book is that <clears throat> Bales does describe at length the supply chain problems and challenges in tackling and, and tracking slavery through them. Uh, it's easy for companies to sign assurances that according to their best knowledge, their products are free of, free of slavery, but they in fact don't really know, and this will not change. And, and this segues into a brief discussion about the Sustainable Development Goals, or SDG, uh, for the supply chain policies and requirements will likely be too much of a burden for small companies in developing nations who are, in fact, clean and pure, but can't afford the cost of going through the red tape and getting the official organizations to approve them. Uh, free trade in organic products already face the same challenges. So this actually reduces sustainable locally owned and operated businesses that exist to help stabilize their communities. And uh, Bales does propose carbon credits as a good way, uh, maybe one of the only ways to reduce carbon emissions, but as I get to in in very short order that this is um, problematic. A lot of these uh, climate policies are Are now designed around the Sustainable Development Goals or SDGs, uh, also link in the notes. And these are primarily outlined in Goal 7, which is about energy, and 8, which is about um, not trafficking people, not abusing people. Um, There's actually, what, 17 uh, goals. Uh, I encourage you to look at it. I'll post one of the articles that I learned uh, that I read recently, a couple podcasts, an article or are um, listed on the Unlimited Hangout uh, website. The links are in the show notes. I highly, I strongly encourage you to go there and uh, you will learn way more than I can get to here. So, um, But the uh, Sustainable Development Goals are supposed to be achieved by 2030. Um, they are anything but sustainable. They're only sustainable for the elite, basically. Uh, the The bottom line is that the policies and interventions being proposed will only lead to more enslavement. And uh, the alleged purpose of the United Nations uh, Sustainable Development Goal 7 um, is to ensure affordable, reliable, sustainable, and modern energy for all. Um, but as uh, Whitney Webb and um, Ian Davis uh, outlined in their article, is that the real impacts of its implementation is, is is far from that, and that the renewable energy is neither renewable nor sustainable. This is not new. This is what we've talked about with um, Epstein and, and Lomborg and Schellenberger also, and that the energy transition is only making the problem of energy poverty worse, um, for despite their claims, they make basically, uh, you know, in their journalism, they They uncover that the SDG or the people writing these are such as the Davos elites, um, Klaus Schwab. Uh, They will make they they actually make no real commitment to ensure access to affordable, reliable, sustainable and modern energy for all. There's no it's not for all. It's just we're going to change our energy uh, transition. But they don't promise that it will be better for everyone and that climate change is seen, I'm quoting, not just an environmental problem, but as a serious financial and economic social problem. Um, fiscal space, quote unquote, must be engineered to finance the policy coordination and policy coherence needed to advert the prof- prophesied disaster. In other words, economic, financial, and monetary crises will hardly be absent in the world of sustainable development. In other words, that the rationale outlined above will likely be used to justify such crises. So this is the model envisioned by UN and its multi stakeholder partners. Um, those behind the SDGs, the end justify the mean, that means we, we will Reduce emissions, we will have energy transition to clean energy. It will produce hardship. People will die. It will be difficult. um, But as long as it is committed in the name of sustainability. Now, what Whitney Webb goes on to talk more about is that it's not sustainable for everyone, it's only sustainable for the elite. I just want to make this point again. The documents and related reports to the SDGs admit that economic crises are expected in the process of sustainable development. The ends will justify the means in the circular reasoning of the World Economic Forum or WEF elites. Destruction of society, uh, that's you and me, uh, may be necessary in order to protect us from something worse. The the report in uh, the Unlimited Hangout report uh, describes that this corrupt carbon market, uh, which is proposed by Bales and, and other people about uh, uh, awesome, um, maybe the only um, great solution proposed to reduce emissions um, has um, some, un- well, is it unintended consequences? Anyway, you'll see. Here's some examples outlined in the report. Um, one the indian giant energy the indian energy giant reliance registered its quote unquote high efficiency coal-fired power station in the port town of krishnapatnam patnam located in the state of andhra pradesh under the uh, global uh, the carbon market mechanism the un sanctioned the registration and awarded reliance 165 million dollars in carbon credits example 2 The French energy giant uh, Total Energies has reportedly barred 400 Congolese farmers and their families from accessing their own land so that Total Energies can claim carbon credits for planting trees on the Bateki Plateau. This will allow Total Energies to quote-unquote offset without actually reducing its CO2 emissions by the equivalent amount. The lives of the Congolese farmers and their families are seemingly irrelevant. One of the affected farmers, Clarissa Luba Parfait, said that from the farmer's perspective, the objective appeal appeared to be to kill us, to send us back to being slaves again, like in the past. Again, these are African farmers complaining about the colonialism (laughs) that is being endorsed and promoted by our uh, climate policies about slavery. Another example is that the U.S. government uh, has uh, killed a proposal um, for a copper nickel mining project in Minnesota to protect the environment. A few days earlier, the government, uh, same U.S. government, signs an MOU to expand mining in the Congo in Zambia that is known for destroying the environment. I mean, I I, I give you, like, when we talk about natural gas or, or coal, we want to buy it from some other country that's producing it dirty? Or could we produce it cleaner here and more efficiently and employ people here? Uh, These are not making sense, right? No, not making any sense. Another thing to keep in mind is that, um, quote unquote, negative emissions are achieved by offsetting more emissions than are produced. It's not actually reducing emissions. It's just sort of a paper emission. So they're actually producing emissions, um, but on paper it's negative because they're paying for something. And so, so it's kind of I don't understand. They're 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 not actually reducing emissions, but they're paying uh, for somebody else who can't reduce their emissions. So, but it's only the rich who gets to do this. Now, uh, Kevin Bales. Uh, says that, oh, yeah, this money we could actually, instead of paying people to cut down uh, for us, we could pay them to plant trees. Um, yeah, okay, so in theory that works, but I want proof of concept. And are these same people going to, you know, how, how, how does that work exactly? He doesn't really say. Um, and meanwhile, emissions aren't being down. Also, I would like to point out that uh, emissions are not actually uh, increasing, they're actually decreasing, um, a point I made before, and I'll prove it again. And there's no uh, proof that uh, reducing emissions will uh, reduce global warming. Um, That's also a theory. So there's you know, this talk of emissions and then having paper emissions, just, uh, you know, arranging uh, money. Um, it's like monopoly money for emissions. And so the, uh, the wealthy uh, climate alarmist celebrities can continue to fly around the world in their private jets, lecturing on how we need to reduce our carbon footprints, because unlike displaced Congolese farmers, they have the wealth to offset them by planting some trees. Uh, I'm I'm going to wrap up here, but uh, there are some other uh, fun facts that uh, you might be interested in. That more people die of cold than heat. Another is that the Earth is actually thriving in a hotter CO2-rich environment. The global greening. There are things that are growing, and and some parts of the Earth are thriving in this environment. Um, this global greening is a thing. Did you know that polar bears are actually thriving? And they are more than doubled their population in the last few years. Also, uh, more information about cyclones and hurricanes, uh, frequency and strength, and, and things like that. So, um, lots of other information they are not necessarily hearing from the mainstream media. Again, uh, not saying that climate change is, is real. Is that it's changing in ways that are somewhat unexpected, and that it's not always a bad thing. And we is not necessarily just caused by us, and it is not the most important thing uh, that's impacting our planet right now. I mean, you know, I think war is kind of more uh, uh, problematic and much more present to us uh, than uh, climate change is at the moment. And so unfortunately, there are a lot of well-intentioned but ignorant people who desperately want to do good and stop the planet from dying yeah me uh included um but i want people to wake up and and not fall for the well-crafted well-financed narrative that sensationalizes that catastrophizes and silences people who have other uh ideas that are well-informed evidence-based uh scientific information that tells a different story about uh the climate about weather patterns and about human flourishing. I'm not here to talk people or to say that we shouldn't care about our environment. I, you know, I, I you know, Kevin Bales. I have a deep respect for the guy. who has been in this from the very beginning and, and understands it a lot. Um, I think he has some principles that are that are a bit misguided, and so I'm just taking an honest uh, shot at his book, and but also want to um, propose a different side too. Um, I'm really more pro-human. That, you know, we can adapt, we can thrive, and that there are ways to do that. Um, there are disadvantages as well as advantages to fossil fuels um, because when when people are safe, sheltered, well-fed, and well-educated, that will be good for the entire planet, um, humans, uh, planets, and wildlife. Uh, uh, people who are better off care more about their environment and take better care of it. Yeah, sure, there will obviously be be dumbasses that litter and pollute um, just like there will always be more sinister criminals who abuse and enslave people Um, because it is people in the end who are trafficking people. It's not the climate. Uh, I want to make it more difficult for the evildoers to do their work by doing good old-fashioned sustainable development. I want to help show you how you can too. And at the core, I'm about setting people free as well as preventing people from ending up in slavery in the first place. And these issues I'm seeing developing around the world are leading me to believe that more of us than ever are vulnerable to being slaves in, in ways we never would have imagined. So uh, thanks, uh, thanks for listening. Um, it was a, a bit of a longer rant than I that I anticipated, but I, I hope you gain something from it. I hope you learned something from it. I uh, hope that you will uh, share this um, for good or for bad. Uh, I want to hear from you. Uh, I want to hear the challenges. I want to hear what you're thinking. I want to hear how, uh, if you're seeing any of these other things impacting your sector or or related to human trafficking or slavery in particular. So I um, am really enjoying doing this. I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for me. Um, I have something to say and, and, um, bring a different light to it. So anyway, uh, it's great. Um, be in touch. and I will, uh, see you the next time, uh, when I put something, uh, another podcast together. So until then, um, you know, be well, um, have fun and go outside and, and, uh, make some vitamin D. Okay. Even in the wintertime, maybe we just take our supplements in February in the Northern hemisphere, but until then, uh, we'll see you. Take care. Bye.